Okay, Stacey, this, this one's clearly for you. How do you deal with board members or others who seem to think people working in the nonprofit sector aren't talented enough, which is why they go into nonprofits? Okay, I don't know if this question's for me because this raises <laughs> my hackles. <laughs> I'm feeling very angry because we've all experienced those people that think, oh, it's like people who are lesser than or not as qualified or not as smart or whatever stories they have in their heads. And it's really annoying. Um, I mean, I always go back to if there's a board member making those kinds of comments like outright at a board meeting or in in any situation, someone needs to pull them aside. And I don't think it should be a staff person because it looks completely, A, that's not the staff person's position to do that. Plus, it looks defensive than like, oh, no, I really am smart. Like, But I think there's an opportunity to share with with the board chair, somebody like, hey, we're getting these comments from this person and it's really just kind of offensive and you need to have a conversation. Um, that's like a very direct approach. I also think there's softer approaches that maybe it's just some edge. I mean, you can always go at this with some questions when someone says that, say, you know, and ask, so why is it? It seems like you've got sort of this picture in your head of the nonprofit sector. I'm just curious to know where that came from and you know and and then like I would wow them with stats right like do you know that 10% of the american workforce and private workforce is actually made up of nonprofits and do you know like we are you know cr- contribute this much to the gross domestic product like i think there's ways to sort of pepper in some things that or like whatever something that might make the person go oh I didn't realize this was as big a deal, but at the end of the day, like it's going to come across. I think it comes across if you're a staffer, there's no way like you need it. It needs to be a peer board member saying, hey, wait up. Like this is one of the hardest jobs out there, right? Like and and anyone who's worked in private sector and moved to nonprofit would be the first to say it. I don't know about you, Andy, but I have friends and colleagues who have come from really high-level positions in private sector who go and run a nonprofit, and they said, it's the hardest job of my life. Like, this was, this has blown me away. And so you need that kind of person to be able to send that message so that person shuts up. Yeah. And I mean, how many, I mean, and we hate talking about it, but how many times do people just like say, I'm this, I'm just done with the nonprofit sector. It's too hard. I hate it. Yes. I hate the hours. I hate the money. I hate all of it. And I will, I love what I'm doing. I love the cause, but yeah. I just can't, I just can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to go do something easy and just pick a regular, regular old for-profit job, <laughs> which in comparison is infinitely easier. Like we say this all the time. This is like the joke is like nonprofits are literally business on hard mode. Like yes. at the beginning of the video game, you select easy and that's not a nonprofit or you can select hard because it comes with so much extra baggage. And I think like, I think your, your point that you need to have a peer explain it to this person is the right way to go. I think that's the only way you're going to solve it. I think maybe thinking about the underlying reason that they have that feeling is it might be instructive and make you not be so worried about it. Like yeah. let, not let it bother you as much because the, what, what they're confused about is because you're doing something that's has some sort of positive benefit for the community. Like you're, you're doing something good and there's this weird, like confusing feeling about things that are altruistic that, that if you're doing something good, you have to be doing it and expect no reward for it. Because if you're doing it and expecting a reward for it, like for example, being paid that you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's like some sort of, it's like, 
you're, it's a, it's a dissonance between I'm, I'm being, I'm being generous and I'm helping the community, but by asking for money to do that, just because it's an actual difficult job, like that's, that's hard for people to put those two things together and not feel like they're getting scammed or, you know, there's a, there's a dissonance yes. there. Um, and, and recognizing that, that that's a, it's a complicated thing. I mean, this is sort of a, sort of a cultural thing that's been ingrained in a lot of people that, you know, like the sort of like the good Samaritan, right. That if you're, you're doing something, you're doing it for a good reason, not because you want something in exchange. So that's the, the sort of lens or the frame that they're using to talk, think about this when in reality is you're doing a very hard flipping job. Like this is a difficult job to do. And it's, you know, pound for pound, for profit, nonprofit. You have a million. If you're, we talked. I think we talked about this like last podcast or two passive podcasts ago. You have a a regular old dry cleaning business that clears, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in revenue a year, and you've got a nonprofit that clears a hundred thousand dollars in revenue a year. It is infinitely more complicated Absolutely. to run that nonprofit. You need to do a 990 tax form, yes. which is so much harder than yes. the regular 1040. You need to do, you might need to get a financial audit. You have to do a budget. You think that dry cleaner is doing a budget? They're nowhere near budgets. No. And you've got a program-based budget. You've got one that splits it into <laughs> functional expense statements. That, I mean, and that's just the that's just the accounting and governance side, let alone trying to figure out how to use the the how to how to communicate with donors in such a way that they want to give you something with absolutely nothing in return like i'm not giving you clean clothes back for the money you gave me i'm giving you a better world that's a hard thing to do and so like just because i mean this person this board member whatever has this like weird frame of reference they're probably bitter that that they don't get to do something as cool as you're doing Absolutely. and they're trying to like put their garbage on you, like just let it go. Like yeah. it's not your problem yeah. that this person's a jerk. But I think Stacy, your point, like let a board member explain yes. that to them because if you do it, you're going to do what I'm doing and just like throw punches and be <laughs> angry. Right. So, so just, I mean, <laughs> just get, get that feeling inside you that you're honestly, you're better than they are. Yeah. And, and they're just bitter about that. <laughs> See, and, and it's just, you know, I think at the, if it's one comment, like one, one off comment, you know, you can let that slide, I guess. I mean, but I guess I, for me, I go, if there is repetitive kinds of comments or it creates sort of that sort that culture, it's completely demoralizing yeah. and it stinks. So like someone's got to call it out. And, you know, and I also think, and I know this is doesn't solve the problem with a board member who's already on the board, but like when you're recruiting, you should really, like there's an opportunity in recruitment and orientation to let people know of like the impact of the sector and sort of share some pre- pretty powerful numbers, stories, like people that have PhDs that are doing amazing, and not that you need a PhD, right? But like there's people with advanced degrees and everything in between with all sorts of background. And how many of us know people that have bounced around or or been in different sectors throughout their careers, right? Private sector, government sector, um, public sector. So, or I mean, uh, you know, it's nonprofit sector. Like you've got all these sectors that people oftentimes kind of and none of them each have their own complexities, but I tend to agree with you, Andy. Nonprofit is way harder than all the rest. So just play this podcast recording for that <laughs> jerky board member. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything. The podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurek and Stacey Wedding. 
Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. You're in for a treat. We've got lots of great questions. And speaking of questions, as a reminder, you can always send us a question. You can tag and find Andy and I. You can track us down on the nonprofiteverything.com website, you know, connect with us on social media. Or if you want to go old school, you can even call us at the new number for this which is 702-900-4656. That's 702-900-4656. We can't wait to hear from you. And thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to Anne for making all of this possible. Today's Nonprofit Everything podcast is sponsored by the LGBTQ Community Center of Southern Nevada, best known as The Center. For more than 25 years, the center has cared for, championed, and celebrated LGBTQIA individuals and those who are underserved in Nevada. The center is a haven for all, welcoming and celebrating the diversity of our communities and helping empower people to live authentic lives. See thecenterlv.org for more information or check the Nonprofit Everything show notes for a link. It seems like so many people and organizations are creating podcasts these days. Our nonprofit has been toying with the idea of creating our own podcast to really position ourselves as experts in transitioning teens to adulthood and independence. What recommendations do you have for getting started? Anything we should be cautious of or consider before taking the plunge? Oh, I think, Andy, you and I have a lot of advice on this one, don't we? <laughs> we've got a little bit of experience. I don't know if it's good advice, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we, you know, we've kind of learned as we've gone. So yeah. I love that you're actually planning this out and asking this question before you get started versus just diving full throttle in. Um, you know, I, I've got a few thoughts, like one of them being, I, one thing I would ask you is like how this fits into your overall marketing plan because I I find the tendency as so many organizations get excited by the the bright new shiny object, right? Or or sort of this whole FOMO thing. Like they don't want to miss out, fear of missing out. And so they they see, oh podcast are like the rage. So now we're going to do a podcast. And so I guess I would say to really think about the existing channels and sort of marketing channels you're using, what's working with them, what's not, and whether adding yet another, you know, channel to reach people, um, which of course you still need to promote and get people to actually listen to, um, is really the best strategy. Um, I mean, it could be, and obviously you're thinking through this, but but I think doing a little bit of um, analysis instead of keep, you know, continuing to add things to your plate is one thing I would just encourage you to do if you haven't done already. Um, and, you know, I also think, you know, have you done research on, is anyone else doing this kind of, you know, podcast, you know, around the same issues about transitioning teens to adulthood and, and that kind of thing, because perhaps there's a way to collaborate. So you don't have all of the burden lying on your shoulders. It's a lot of work, right? And Andy and I always say, you know, creating you know, thankfully, our content, we don't have to create from from scratch, or we don't have to prepare all of it, because you all are kind enough to ask us questions that then we answer, but we still have to actually do the work to right, get, you know, get you to ask us the questions and to prepare. Um, and Andy does a whole lot of editing and making us sound or at least me sound smarter than I really am. So like, you know, there's a lot of work to this. And I guess I just really want to underscore 
um, that piece of it. Yeah, that, I think, you know, I've, I've actually talked to a bunch of people just because we do this one. I've talked to a bunch of people who have similar questions, right? So this isn't the first time this is coming up. And a lot of the questions are sort of technical things. And, you know, Google's your friend. There, there's, there's lots of communities of people that are already doing podcasts that can kind of answer all of the technical questions. Like, how do I not sound terrible? Um, what, you know, what format should it be? How long should it be? All those kinds of things that you need to consider. But, but I think to, you know, to follow up on Stacy's point too, you, you got to know why you're doing it. So I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about why, why this podcast exists. So, I mean, it's, it's not that Stacy and I were bored and didn't have enough to do and thought, <laughs> Let's just <laughs> well, yeah, we were just twiddling our thumbs saying, ah, what can we do it. today? Exactly. Yeah. So no, so so this is, as we say at, at the beginning and end of every episode, this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. And so what the sort of impetus of this podcast was is that Anne had traditionally done webinars and in-person uh, conferences and things like that over the years. And, and one of the things that Anne discovered is that they were having difficulty reaching uh, people that weren't necessarily in Reno and Las Vegas. So they would they would do a webinar and it would be in somewhere in Las Vegas. And so you'd grab all the people in Las Vegas, but Nevada is more than just Reno and Las Vegas. And, have it, and it's a big state too, right? You can't just do it in a central location and everybody can be there in an hour if they want to. So so we were thinking about like, and, and webinars seemed like the smart thing to do, but the, the challenge then is that we have a bunch of people who live live in the very rural frontier parts of the state of Nevada that don't even have access to like appropriate internet connections that can't even participate in webinars because the internet's too slow. So so the idea for the podcast really came from a way that how can how can Anne create something that's of assistance to the nonprofit sector that can be used by everybody in Nevada? And that was kind of like, well, we could do a podcast that's asynchronous. You don't have to worry about um, whether or not your, your network connection is fast enough. And it also gives us the opportunity to sort of figure out what people are interested in, like what kinds of questions the sector is really asking in Nevada. And we, can we, can we address those like quickly and accurately, um, in a, in a relatively quick format? Whereas like a webinar is like, you decide it, you know, two months in advance and then you find somebody to do it. Right. So it was a, it was really a solution to a very specific problem. Um, so that's why the podcast exists and that's why we continue to do it. I'd say if I did have one piece of advice, it's don't don't get discouraged when you've done 10 episodes and you realize that there are 22 people listening to each episode. Um, that's sort of the natural life cycle. I mean, if you think about just the sheer volume of content that's out there, um, that it's going to take you a while to find your audience and you you just need to sort of be consistent at it and make sure you do it over and over again and and listen to audience feedback. Make sure that when you're talking to your folks and you're asking them what they thought that, you know, you dig past, oh yeah, it's great. I love it, right? Because <laughs> there's always like, so everybody's got a little bit of an opinion, something that they want to see a little bit differently. And, you know, if you listen to old episodes of this podcast, you'll notice that it's changed over the year too. So since we've been doing this, we're on episode 70, I don't know, 70 something. Um, every single episode is maybe a little bit different than the previous ones as we listen to listener feedback and like respond to that feedback as well. So um, it's, it's something that you're going to have to stick with if you're going to want to be successful. But having number one, a purpose for it. And number two, just being persistent, I think are the two, two things I'd recommend. 
And I also think figuring out how you're going to measure success. So you talk about you want to position yourselves as experts. So what does that look like? At the end of the day, positioning yourselves as an expert, what will come from that? Is that, are you hoping for more donations? Are you hoping for more volunteers? Are you hoping that you're kind of the go-to source for anything to do with this topic? So I think really sort of on the outset, really getting crystal clear on that piece. Um, and also, you know, Andy talked a bit about audiences and, and sort of target audience. I mean, we listen to ours and we have a good feel for our target audience. And thankfully, we've all, you know, both Andy and I have worked in nonprofits before. So we also understand the pain points. But I think with any any kind of marketing strategy, you start with your target audience and what are they thinking about? And if you don't know, asking, right, what are your what are your pain points? What information do you not have out there that you want to have? What are what are kind of what's your profile? Like what are your hopes, your dreams, your opportunities, your challenges? Like really defining that so you can create content around where you're trying, you know, the, the target audience you're trying to hit. Cause you're not going to try to reach everybody. So then how do you do that? And then, you know, the final thought I have also is driving people to to your podcast. That's that's the toughest part with all this marketing stuff, right? Like is how do we get people to actually click through or listen? And and how do we incorporate that in everything we're doing so they know about it? Andy and I both put on the end of like our signature lines when you get an email from us has like a, a line, like a sentence, right? With a link where someone can link right to this podcast. And that's intentional because we are trying to, even if it's a little bit grassroots, we're trying to get the word out about it. So Anyway, I, I wish you a ton of luck. I'm um, excited to, to hear about your idea and, and uh, see how it goes. We are a small nonprofit with a budget less than $250,000 a year. Our board is wondering when we should get an audit and what the different levels are. The word audit, right, is is usually used to mean a financial audit, and I'm going to assume that that's what you're what the question's talking about. So, so it could be there, you know, there's any kind of audit, right? Any you could audit, you could program audit, it could be anything. Um, but I I think what you probably mean is a financial audit. So, so usually when when organizations get audits, they're like regulatory reasons that they might want to get them that would require it. So some states that you're in would require once you get to a certain size, we'll say you need to have an independent audit. And that's one of the types. And an independent audit is where you hire an auditing firm, usually a CPA firm that specializes in doing nonprofit financial audits. And they come in and they look over basically all of your financial statements, all of your bookkeeping. They look at checks. They look at board minutes. They look at a, you know basically anything that would have anything to do with the management of the organization and the management of the money in the organization. And, and just make sure that the things that you say, that you're tracking things properly and that the, the things that you're saying publicly are actually true. Um, it's called independent because they're coming in as sort of a third-party expert. They don't work for you. They're just coming in as a third-party expert to advise your board and give your board, like, here's what we found. Like, here's the financial statement audit. Um, and there are lots of different levels within that as well. Like some really big organizations can do their own financial statements. They can do their own financial statements. They can do their own 990. They can do their own 
sort of financial packet with all the notes. And then the auditor is coming in and truly just auditing all of that work and making sure it's accurate. Um, smaller organizations that don't have the internal capacity to do all that work may rely on the auditor then to even just generate those annual financial statements. So it kind of comes as part of the whole package process is they go through all of the, go through all the checks, they go through all the payments, your bank statements, all that kind of stuff. And then they would generate that stuff for you based on what you've put in your, in your bookkeeping, bookkeeping system. Um, so that's, that's generally the independent audit. And that's kind of, when do you want to get that one? Number one, I would say you would get it when it's required by someone. Oh, funders frequently want to see a, a fight, an independent audit because they want to see that that uh, that you're doing things right. And that audit says, yep, they've got their ducks in a row. They're not hiding money. They're not cheating. They understand what the rules are. They've got proper governance. It's like a good like sort of um, sort of seal of approval from an external source that says, yeah, they've kind of got their act together. And so. One thing I would hop in and say, because I know there's funders who say, you know, some are, you know, pretty strict with that rule, right? We want to see this independent audit and others are a bit flexible. And so sometimes you might also want to um, check with the funder if there's any flexibility in that, because that's when it gets into, and I'm sure Andy's going to touch on this, right? But sort of a financial review or a financial compilation, like something that's a little bit less rigorous, um, and not as expensive because audits are ex- financial audits are expensive, and especially for a budget that size. Like, I just, I mean, my gut as a non-finance person says, "Oh my gosh, don't don't do an audit if you're that small." Like, oh, that's like a lot. That's a huge commitment. I mean, and I get that boards want to exercise their fiduciary, you know, responsibility, and that's important, but. But perhaps, um, and Andy, maybe you can respond to this, but like there's other ways for boards to do that that don't require you to pay a steep fee for an auditor. Yeah. And so I think the, the, the fee for an audit, does the, you know, from a, just from a nominal perspective, seems like it can be expensive, but you're actually paying for the expertise of someone to come check your work and make sure that you're doing everything. It's, it's really good peace of mind to know that the organization is kind of on the up and up. And I do think funders, I mean, you can answer this question probably better than I can is when a funder is looking at two organizations that are roughly equivalent, one of them's had a financial audit. One of them has not had a financial audit. They're, they're, they may lean toward the one with the financial yes. audit just because there's this additional level of comfort about how they're behaving. Totally agree. And the other thing to note, um, back to sort of, obli- you know, if there's sort of a, a, when it's mandated that you get an audit, one thing to make note of, because it used to be 500000 and it, I think it got raised recently, or I don't know when, but to 750 but like, you know, nonprofits that expend more than $750,000 in federal money um, is re- you know they're required to obtain a single audit. So that's one thing. Also, if, I don't know how much, and obviously your organization's not at that threshold. But, but for other listeners, that's another sort of gut you know gut point you know checkpoint to look at. So yeah. So if you're if you're expending seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of federal money, and it's not from a single grant or a single agency, it could be from spread across multiple agencies. So if you're getting it from uh, the USDA and the Department of Education and some other department, um, and that all in together all aggregates to $750,000, then you need to do a, what's called a single audit. Uh, but it's just a federal audit of those particular programs. And that's in addition to, usually you would never get a single audit and not have a financial audit too. You got to sort of have to do both. They sort of stack onto each other. Um, but on the other side, as you know, Stacy mentioned, the 
there are there are some products that a uh, that an accounting firm can provide you that are not as rigorous as an independent audit. And so the first level is is a, called a review. So what a review is is that they they look at your financial statements to just make sure that they are they're they're they conform to generally accepted accounting principles or GAAP. So they they looks at that they got similar goals, but it's not the same level of rigor. They're not going to look at check stubs. They're not going to go through all of the supporting documentation to make sure that all rolls up to it. They're really looking at it to say, yep, that looks like financial statements to me and things seem to be where they're supposed to be. And also your math is right, right? That's about the level of that. Um, a, a compilation is a just like a little bit higher than that, where they may look at source documentation, but they're also but they're not going to be looking at things like internal controls, where like you know like a full independent audit, they're going to spend an awful lot of time. And this is where a lot of the value comes in. Is like here's all the ways, just so you know, here's all the ways people can be stealing money from your nonprofit. Like that's a that's a useful thing to know. Um, a compilation is going to give you like not that. <laughs> um, so the full audit is, I mean, in my opinion, that's kind of where if, if you want somebody to look at your books and make sure that they seem right, um, a review or a compilation might be useful to you. Um, I think my opinion, where all the value really comes in is that independent audit. Um, and a lot of times what comes with the independent audit is the auditors will give you what's called a management letter. So there's the audit findings letter, the audit letter where they'll say like everything, you know, we looked at this and, you know, management is responsible for all of it, but we looked at it in our opinion, this, this represents what we think we saw. This is right. This, this, this is what we think we saw is what they say. But then the management letter is this additional thing that goes to the board and to the staff and isn't public. Even if funders want to have it, you can say, no, thank you. Um, the management letter is something where the auditor is writing directly back to management to say, these are all the things that we noticed. Like this is the stuff that you should probably look at. Um, it's not, it doesn't, it's not like an audit finding. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but here are ways that you can improve all of your systems. And that's, that's incredibly valuable, especially if you're sort of a small to mid-sized organization that, that wants additional assistance, that, that management letter is, is huge. It's super useful. And I think one, one, Thing to piggyback off you, Andy, is, you know, you mentioned that it's not, you know, at the end of the day, there is, there is a responsibility to make sure that the organization is being managed properly. And so as much as I say, I cringe a bit at, at the cost and it's not that it's not worth it, right? The, the peace of mind, the having that external neutral third party be able to look at everything you're doing. I, I think it makes you a stronger organization. And if you want to get to the next sort of level and, and grow as an organization, it's absolutely worth considering an investment. But it's definitely something for, for boards to think through, especially depending on the expertise you have on it. If you have a finance committee, because if there's not a lot of those systems in place and you're kind of just operating willy-nilly, I could see where something like this would really help. Um, you know, a financial audit might just help you kind of get your shop in order to position you better for the future. So um, definitely don't don't take my remarks about the, the expense. Like it's just, it's the thing I hear the most from nonprofits, right? They go, oh, it's so expensive. And yet, can you afford not to do it, right? Like, I mean, I think that's kind of the point where you have to have that discussion. And I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong as long as you know that you, you can feel confident that, monies are being 
stewarded and managed appropriately. And, and however you get to that is really the larger, larger question. Yeah. I mean, we, we said this all the time is nonprofits are our business on hard mode. Like all the stuff that you do as a $250,000 a year organization, like you've got all these additional responsibilities that just like, you know, the, the dry cleaners that's making $250,000 a year for their business. It, like they don't even come close to the amount of detail that you need to put in as a nonprofit. Um, so, so having, you know, to, to do all these extra things is, it seems expensive. It seems like, you know, honestly, I would rather put the resources into my programs than into my infrastructure and my systems. But I mean, even once you say that out loud, you realize how ridiculous that is. Like you, you can't have, you can't have an organization without paying people. You can't have a, a robust, um, effective nonprofit without having really solid systems in place because it is so much harder than a regular business. Um, and that's what we signed up for. That's why, that's why this is interesting and exciting and not, you know, it's not why we're not all running a dry cleaners. You, the sad music. You made it to the end of another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Stacey and I, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to become an AND member. So go check out the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits.org or check out the Nonprofit Everything show notes. You can also send us questions. We really appreciate your questions. And uh, we'd also like to thank Envy Energy for letting us use their recording space, which is why we sound nice once again. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.